I'm Chris Biscardi, and this is the Party Corgi Podcast. Today we have Nick Steenow. Usually I introduce Party Corgi Podcast guests, but Nick, I noticed that on your podcast, you like to have the guests, uh, or give the guests the opportunity to introduce themselves. So I'd like to give you the same opportunity now. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, so who am I? I'm Nick Steenhout. I um, have been doing accessibility for over 20 years now. And when I'm speaking accessibility, I'm mostly focusing on web accessibility at the moment. Uh, I'm a podcaster. Uh, strangely enough, my podcast is about accessibility. And I uh, do a lot of public speaking as well around accessibility. So if you have questions about accessibility, I guess I'm I'm one of the go-to folks to um, to go to. And I tweet and I tweet a lot. So um, that's the nutshell me. Awesome. So you have a uh, podcast called Ally Rules. Um, and I guess we should start off with like Ally is a numero name, yep. right? So what does that stand for and what does it mean? So it's a11y or a11y and as you point out it is a numeronym and that's something that came out quite a few years ago where there were a lot of long words like internationalization or accessibility so basically you take the first letter of a word and the last letter of a word you count the number of letters in between and you replace that with the number so accessibility is a and why, and there's 11 letters in between. Internationalization would be A18, I18N uh, because the first letter is I, the last letter is N, and there's 18 letters in between. So it's, it's something, uh, especially around accessibility, that uh, there's been a bit of conflict around because people are saying, well, that's not really accessible to, to use that, uh, that hashtag. But... Um, while it's not accessible for some, it's been used so much that more and more people understand it. And when you have limited space, like in a tweet or or, or other social medias, um, it, it makes it easier to, to reference the topic and people will know what it's about, uh, how you pronounce it, whether you say ally or A11Y or A11Y, or you actually pronounce it accessibility. Um it all comes down to the same thing in the end that that's what we're talking about and how do you define accessibility there are so many different ways to define that um, i ask that question to every one of my guests that come on my podcast and out of about 60 people i've spoken to i got about 60 different definitions but it all resolve revolves around this concept of accessibility is the inclusive practice of making digital assets work for everybody, regardless of ability or disability. And I think that's probably, for me, the best definition where we're breaking it down. It's, it's not just about websites, but it's about any digital assets, whether it's a video, an EPUB, uh, a PDF document, or, or any other format of numeric um, content. And it's also looking at making it work for everybody, not just people with disabilities. If, if, um, if we look at the way we write content, uh, and we might speak a little bit more about that later, uh, the way we write is really important. We can mm -hmm. write in uh, using the concepts of plain English, 
which makes it easier for someone with a cognitive impairment or a learning impairment to consume the content, but it also makes it easier for Google Translate to translate your content accurately because maybe someone from Japan is trying to understand what you're talking about on your blog post that's in English. Uh, you never know who's going to come to your website and you never know if the things you do to make your site, your course, your content more accessible are going to be actually beneficial for a whole bunch of people that don't necessarily um, have disability-related accessibility needs, but they may have other situational impairments. For example, if you are very fond of using gray text on gray background, which is a designer trend <laughs> that's been going on for a long time, Put yourself in the shoes of somebody accessing your content on a mobile phone and they're in bright sunlight, chances are they're not going to be able to read your text. So there's a, a very real tangible example of how using proper color contrast helps people with low vision, but it also helps people with no disabilities. Yeah, I think in, in my head, one of the ways that I do like to think about it is um, there's this platform called egghead that i produce videos on and then there's like youtube videos and youtube videos are typically like 10 minutes long they've got like a minute and a half intro they've got them talking a lot in the middle they've got the thing that you want and then you like the entire outro and for like somebody sitting down listening to that youtube video like can you focus for 10 minutes to find the one thing that you wanted and if you apply that to basically mm. every different form of content uh it's essentially the same kind of thing right but yeah, as people who produce a lot of this content, uh, I wonder what you think we should be focusing on when we write blog posts and create videos and things like that. And maybe we can get into a little bit more uh, specifics later. For blog posts or any other form of written content, really, there, there's, there's a few things to look at. I mentioned plain English uh, and Really, it should be plain language because the, the principle apply equally to English, French, Spanish, and, and any other language. And those things you want to look at uh, include make sure you break down your content using headings. So, you know, build a hierarchy of content so you can look at, at the headings on a page and understand how the content is structured. It's going to help... Uh, also, screen reader users who are able to bring up a list of all the headings on a page and they'll be able to catch the page at a glance, a little bit like we do when we're looking quickly. It's one way for screen reader users to, um, to consume that content. Front load the content. Put the most important information at the start of your article. Uh, you probably have seen the, the things... TLDR, too long, did not mm. read. And, and that's that's something that happens. We have three seconds to catch somebody's attention. If you're waiting to put really the conclusion, the crux of your content at the end of the page, you may actually have lost everybody until you, you front load the content. And that's important both in terms of the overall piece, but also on a paragraph uh, base. So always front load the content. Try to make sentences short. Don't use too many complicated words. Avoid jargon. So if you're talking to a bunch of structural engineer, it's okay to use structural engineering terms. But if you're trying to write about 
your discovery of the basic concept of structural engineering to the general public try to avoid specialized jargon. Use the active voice. Try to avoid too many adverbs. There's a long list of of things uh, that go beyond that, but I think really those are the the basic basic things to look at. Uh, And I found a, a writing tool, a free writing tool that's actually quite useful to get me started in terms of reducing sentence complexity is uh, Hemingway app, H-E-M-I-N-G-W-A-Y-A-P-P.com. If you don't know that resource, it's really a a great free tool to look around, um, improving the the writing simplicity. I find it invaluable to... um, to help me identify where my my sentences get too complicated. Uh, It's not the only tool I use on my writing, but it really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And it also can tell you about the um, reading level of what you're writing. So if you're writing something that is likely to be understood by somebody at grade six or at grade nine or uh, at university level, you're going to be able to gauge that uh, from that app. Some of the other things you want to focus on when you're creating content is you may have heard it's always a good idea to add visuals. You know, it's, it makes it easier to read if you have images and screenshots and that kind of thing. So always make sure you you use alt text to describe images that are informative uh, as opposed to things that you put there just for eye candy, like decorative images, you would put an empty alt attribute. So a screen reader coming to that image is able to identify, okay, this is an image and the markup, the empty alt tells me that this is decorative. So I'm not going to mention it to the screen reader user. Whereas if you're using an image of a graph or you're having an image of text or a screenshot, that the information isn't really in text around it, you want to describe that appropriately in, in alt text. Those are probably the the main points of content creation in terms of you know blog posts. Uh, some of the other things revolve around design, making sure that you know you're not using justified text because it's harder to read. That um, mm. If you have links, they're underlined because you don't want to rely on color alone to tell text from links. Color contrast, you know, make sure you have enough contrast between foreground color and background color. In general, that that would be it for for actually creating content like text. If you're looking at things a little bit more involved like videos or podcasts or audio files, then you want to look at these issues, but also uh, probably you want to make sure you have a transcript for your podcast mm-hmm. that is easily accessible. Uh, so don't, don't, you know, don't put a podcast, the, the transcript in a downloadable PDF that's not accessible because <laughs> you can't defeat the purpose. Uh, if you're doing video, you want to um, provide captions. Don't rely on the automated captions that often are available, for example, on YouTubes. Uh, people with hearing impairments refer to those as craptions rather than <laughs> captions because they're crap. <laughs> uh, you may get about 
80 or 85 percent accuracy depending on your voice and your accent and if if it's easily recognizable uh and some may think well you know eight out of ten is not so bad <laughs> um, but what if the two out of ten is actually the crucial content mm. uh, don't jump in the river but <laughs> the caption missed the don't <laughs> suddenly you've completely changed your meaning right yeah you have to to pay attention to that and the fun thing with youtube anyway is if you have a transcript of your audio you can actually upload that to um to youtube and the tools the uh, ai is actually going to put timing on your caption so you don't have to spend too much time on creating a proper caption file that's formatted properly and all that you you have tools so leverage the tools you have to improve what's there if you're looking at videos uh avoid images of text because if you're blind and the only thing you can process is the the audio part then you're going to miss on what's happening as an image of text if you can try to do what is called integrated described video so if there are things that are only visuals whether it's image of text or specific actions somebody is taking that are crucial you may actually include that in the narrative and you start describing a little bit the environment so somebody walks into a, a painter's studio and the visuals is panning the entire studio showing the easel and the paints and some painting in on the wall you can build your narrative when you write your script to actually describe that as you're coming in and then you've given your your video a lot more depth and richness just a few ideas to get you started <laughs> that was uh, a lot of really good stuff thank you very much um, you were describing integrated described video. Uh, and I was the thing that popped up into my head when you said that was this uh, infographic yeah. trend that's sort of been continuing for a number of years at this point. Um, is that uh, sort of a similar approach that you would take if somebody was creating one of these like nice big, like uh, sort of what's the word for it? When people take uh, a sketch notes, there we go. People make sketch notes these days of the talks and things that they. Uh, do which are very similar yeah. in style to infographics so is this a similar approach that you would take to make them accessible infographics sketch notes are a wild beast that uh, is mm. hard to tame in general i would say a good designer a good coder can take just about any infographic and actually code it use a markup to make it look like the infographic to have the visuals and all the arrows and and everything and make it really pop visually while remaining accessible under the hood so the html source remains something that is actually usable so if you end up having a broken connection maybe you don't have enough data on your cell phone or you're you know you're working with a two and a half inch screen <laughs> or i don't know um you still get the content. The reality of it is that most people creating infographics are not designers and are not coders, and there's really quite an art to it. So it's unfair to expect people to learn all mm. the nitty gritty of how to code that. 
uh, and sketch notes, well, a sketch note is um, in and of itself is, is mm -hmm. pen on paper, right? So it's really hard to deconstruct that into an HTML. So the better approach there would be to provide the information in text after it. So typically you could um, you could actually, you know, transcribe all the text mm. in the infographic or in the, the sketch note and break it down with headings and order it in a way that's logical. And then suddenly you've taken something that is very visual that may not have necessarily a linear content and you've made it more approachable linearly so you can read it from top to bottom and left to right. Uh, it's a bit more work but you don't know how people will want to consume your content. It is very possible that somebody is, um, it's easier for them to process words that are, have no real images around it. Or it might be, uh, it might be that you're giving some really important statistics and somebody needs to copy those statistics to reference you in, in another content, uh, another blog or whichever. So you want to make it easy for people to use your content and providing the information in actual HTML text will do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's basically don't just rely on the photos, just like if you're using some image on your page, but also make sure that you ideally build it out of markup, which we have great support for things like SVG and stuff these days to do that. Um, but also just not, not relying on a static image, which no matter what you're looking at it on, even if you're just looking at it on your phone, could be uh, not very easy to scan. Yeah. Now, you mentioned SVG. Uh, I should point out that SVGs are tricky to make accessible. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible. Uh, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of, of how to code an SVG mm -hmm. to be accessible, but... Um, there are some hoops to jump through, uh, so don't don't assume that an SVG can be as easy to make accessible as uh, the image uh, tag, yep. for example. You know, the image tag you use the alt attribute and it's done and dusted. The SVG you have to assign it a role. You have to use the title attribute, uh, the title element as the first child, and there's a whole bunch of little things you have to to do to make it work. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, instead of getting into the nitty gritty of SVG, let's say somebody just learned something, uh, whether it's SVG or something else. And as somebody who maintains a blog, they decide to write about it. Um, but before they publish that post, they want to go and find out uh, to make sure that whatever they just learned is accessible to people. Uh, where would you send them if somebody says, I just learned this thing, I don't know where to uh, go to find out if this is okay or not. Yeah. There's quite a few things you can do. Uh, ideally you would, you would inform yourself about mm -hmm. accessibility in general, and you will learn about, you know, the rules of accessibility and, and that can take a while to, to master and get familiar with. So if you want to have just a, you know, a quick check. You can use some automated tools. Uh, there's things like uh, WAVE by WebAIM 
it's a plugin in Firefox and Chrome you can install, and it will do a quick check of the different things that are uh, problematic. Um, there is the AXE uh, accessibility tool by DQ that is also available. There's um, accessibility insights, and I think that's at accessibilityinsights.io. There's another free tool, and, and Insight is good because it gives you a mix of of automated testing, and then it helps walk you through uh, testing all your content. Is it going to work for keyboard? Are the images done properly? Are the form elements done properly? Um, so there's different tools. The one thing to keep in mind is that if you rely only on automated testing tools, you may miss out up to mm. 60% of um, of accessibility errors, of accessibility barriers. Because, for example, uh, an automated testing tool can see whether or not you have the alt attribute on an image, but it's not yet able to determine whether the quality of the alt text mm. is appropriate for the image or not. It can't decide whether the image is only decorative or if it's informative so there's there's a level of human judgment that needs to be passed and that human judgment comes from um comes from experience and knowledge of of the standards but i will tell you that even if you only look at your images and your heading structure and your color contrast if you're looking at just that, you've <laughs> already made a massive difference. So it's better to implement a little bit of accessibility than none at all. Because you know, if if you say, "Oh, it's too complicated. I'm not going to touch anything," suddenly you're cutting a whole bunch of people. Um, whereas if you're using automated testing tools, you can catch a lot of the low-hanging fruits to fix things and and make things better for more people. It's better to be eighty percent accessible than zero percent accessible that's true <laughs> and i've definitely seen uh lighthouse tests or lighthouse scores for accessibility that are uh at 100 but uh also horribly horrible uh markup insights and inaccessible <laughs> mm. you can have technically accessible websites that are totally not usable by everyone much yeah. less people with disabilities so you you have to be careful of treating accessibility as a checklist it's it's more than that it's it's about making things usable for everyone so in one of your talks uh that i watched from i guess this is 2015 uh you were saying that one of the biggest or some of the biggest culprits of poor accessibility were images uh things like data tables and forms um, are those sort of still the biggest uh offenders yeah so Funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I just tweeted something yesterday, Ooh. and it's gone viral. Uh, I've got over 100,000 <laughs> views on it at the moment, which is kind of fun. And I said, we don't have an accessibility problem. We have a, base, a lack of basic mm. HTML knowledge problem. And that is reflected in all the audits I do. I do auditing for a living. You know, I, That's what I do, and I've been doing this for a long time. And... Every single audits I do out there, uh, the vast majority of problems I encounter are 
pages that are not using correct HTML. You're going to use divs to make things behave like a button, or you're using a span, a series of nested spans instead of a data table, that kind of thing. Uh, so proper HTML is one thing, and it should be part and parcel of any developer's basic knowledge skills. Okay, you work in React, you work in Vue, you work in Angular even, that's fine, but you should at least understand the basic HTML that it's supposed to render. Beyond that, um, the four main things that we encounter that are really problematic is keyboard mm -hmm. interactions, is images, its forms, and its color contrast. So keyboard, you want to make sure that you can tab through every interactive element and interact with every interactive element. So you can trigger them with the return key or the space bar. Uh, you want to make mm -hmm. sure you have visible focus. So it's one thing to be able to get to each element, but you have to be able to know you're at uh, each element because there's a lot of sighted people that rely on keyboard. Uh, images, the nutshell is if it's an informative image, you must have clear and concise alt text. If it's a decorative image, then you want to um, use a null alt. If the image is your only link text, then you would describe the destination of the link rather than describe the image itself. And uh, the Web Accessibility Initiative, WAI, has a wonderful tool out there called the Alt Decision Tree. Uh, and that tool basically asks you a series of questions and depending on your answer, tells you how you should handle the, um, the alt attribute. So that's something to look at. So we're talking about keyboard images, forms. Each form element, each form input should have a programmatically associated label to it. Uh, error messages should be associated with the input field when there, there's an error. Um, there's a lot of nitty-gritty around that, but that those are fairly big. And then contrast. Make sure you have enough contrast. And what is enough contrast when you're looking at regular text? So anything uh, smaller than 18 point, basically you want a 4.5 mm -hmm. to 1 contrast ratio. And for large text or non-text elements, you want a 3 to 1 ratio. Yeah, I was just taking a look at this uh, alt decision tree, and it's it's really it's an interesting um, example of not only the actual alt decision tree, right, and the actual how do I decide what to put in the alt tag, um, but also it itself is actually a good example of some semantic markup, uh, and that's sort of one of the things that we've been talking about over this entire podcast. Um, yeah, and when people say things like semantic, it's a bit of a shortcut for everything that we've been talking about right so yeah i just wanted to sort of point that out because i feel like some people get hung up on the word semantic uh, as opposed to all of the little things that we've been sort of talking about in terms of using headings and things like that semantics really only mean that your markup must make sense in of itself if it's a link code it as a link if it's a button, code it as a button. So if it goes somewhere, it's a link. If it does something, it's a button. And by using semantically meaningful markup, 
If it's a link, use the A tag. If it's a button, use the button tag. By using that, you give information to people about what the element is going to do. That's going to help uh, screen reader users to know, okay, well, I'm on a link. I know that if I activate this, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm on a button. If I activate this, I expect something mm. to happen. So by using that, you're, you're helping screen reader users, but you're also helping search engines. Uh, somebody was saying a few years ago that Google is really the largest screen reader user on the internet because the search bots behave and access content in much the same way that a screen reader does. So chances are, if you improve things for accessibility, if you use semantically meaningful HTML markup, you're also going to improve your uh, search engine um, placement. Yeah. I keep saying accessibility <laughs> is good for everyone. And on that note, uh, we're coming up on half an hour. Is there anything else that you would like to say before we end the show? I would like to encourage everybody to start thinking about accessibility, start implementing accessibility, not next week, not next month, but today, because every little bit you do will make a difference to your users and maybe even yourself down the road. Uh, I know transcripts, for example, transcripts for my podcast, I know are useful by for my audience. 27% of my audience prefer the transcript. But I also have an indexed uh, list of all my content. So if I want to reference any one of my 100 plus episodes, I just run a search and I have it there. So accessibility is good for everyone, including yourself, even if you don't have a disability. And where can people find you on the internet if they want to find out more about uh, your podcast or this tweet that you were just talking about? My podcast is a11yrules.com. My personal website and blog is incl.ca. I'm on Twitter. My handle is vavroom, V-A-V-R-O-O-M. And that's probably the best three ways to reach me. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and I think it was particularly enlightening and will be for the audience as well. Thank you. Chris, thank you for having me. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to the Party Corgi podcast. If you want to come be part of our community of creators and hackers, you can find a link to our Discord channel at PartyCorgi.com. You can also find us on Twitter at PartyCorgiPod. I hope you have a wonderful day.